Welcome everyone to Paranormal Roundtable, PRT for short. This is Josh Turner, also known as Wolf, and uh, with me briefly is my, uh, I guess what he is now is the introduction co-host, because he goes into the office next door and goes to sleep after I, and then leaves me alone. I have important things to do in my yeah. in, the, in, in the in the ether world in the dream world. Yeah, that's that's obvious. I got places to be and people to see. Yeah, in, I, in the dream world, entities to see. I don't know what they are. Oh my god! <laughs> I got a meeting here coming up wow. with, with some kind of creature. I don't yeah, know what that's, it is. That's great. Yeah. Well, we have had some weird stuff around the office, folks, and 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 I think that it's probably due to the subject matter. Um, when I was on with Jason Bland, like right at the end of the interview. Uh, when me and Jason were recording, I saw something weird, and it just—I don't know—it looked like a white, smoky thing, like go by. And I was like, "What the heck was that?" And so I, I don't know what that was, but anyway, uh, we just try to hope and pray that uh, we we uh, don't uh, have issues here because I've had one or two weird things happen in the office and the studio. Yeah, like that weird plastic rustling that we heard after the power went mm-hmm. out, like right next door in that, in that other room. And that was right when we were talking about uh, the devil. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, we we were talking about how there are multiple devils, and then man, yeah. and, and then the entire block went out. And uh, and it wasn't like there was like a storm or anything and knocked that out. It just uh, it just all the power went out for the whole place. Block. And then the pet store down the street where we got snowy and, and story. They uh, mentioned that that night they remember they were like standing there, and all of a sudden they're about to close, and boom, it just went out. So that was weird. That was during a live stream that just ended suddenly. Um, so anyway, that was weird. We have some weird stuff going on. But everybody, you know, stay prayed up. Um, stay in the light. Do what you got to do. Uh, we have a special guest today, and I'm and I'm stoked to talk to him. We recorded with this individual before, but as fate would have it, we were like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna finish up at another time." We never did, and that was back when my old co-host, God rest his soul, Armando Salazar, who passed away from COVID. And uh, we were like, okay, well, we're going to re-record with them, and we just it just never happened. But anyway, before we introduce him and bring him on, we got a few things to talk about. Let's get through it quickly. Uh, PRT, uh, or is it Paranormal Roundtable Group mm-hmm. page, and then we have the Paranormal Roundtable the prayer, group. prayer Group that my, my wife started. Then we have the Paranormal Lounge, and then we have Paranormal Encounters, which is uh, run by Mushu. It's like the Wild West over there, though. I just, I stay, I'm scared of that group. I stay out of it. Um, then we have a few other groups, Paranormal Trucker I do with John King, uh, Whisper to a Screen with Ryan Paul Tremley. I'm not going to get into all these. But anyway, long story short, join those groups and you'll, you won't be disappointed. There's a ton of good material on there. We do the giveaways. So me and Paul are still trying to work it out because shipping is really expensive from England. But I'm going to get you guys some books to do the giveaways for uh, Mr. Sinclair. And uh, he's going to autograph them. And we're going we're gonna to try to get them to you for, as giveaways for the show. Um, now we do that every show, how you win those books. Okay. Everybody constantly asks me this and I say it every time is we drop the link to the show on the paranormal roundtable group in Facebook. Okay. And then you go and you make a comment, your show sucks or we like the show, whatever. And we'll pick a winner to, uh, receive the book. Pretty sure, though, if you say that our show sucks, my guys aren't going to pick you. So I'm just going to let you know. If you don't like the show, but you still want to be uh able to win something in the giveaway you have to at least have the decency to lie about it and say hey the show was great (laughs) i mean like if you think it sucks just keep it to yourself if you want to get some free stuff yeah and if you live close to us well you never know what can happen 
I'm just, I'm joking. People, please. You know I'm not going to do that. I'll just send somebody you don't know. Um, so, no, I'm kidding, honestly. And everybody always says, why do you always say that after you say it? Because people will believe that you're being serious if you don't tell them that you're joking. All right? So, folks, I kid a lot. I joke around. And that's how you uh, stay grounded. Because if you just go into this real serious and robotic, it'll eat you up. Another thing, too, people were talking about how, oh, why don't you just tell the stories? Or because I don't do it that way. I can't just go straight into stories like a robot. Now, there are channels you can go to where they just spit out stories robotically, and then that's it. And that's and that's all. And then you can go on to the next story, and it's just like, beam, 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 and they do that. But I'm not that way. I'm a human being. So If you just want story after story after story, instead of complaining that uh, Josh Turner doesn't do that, you could also just, you know, stop being lazy, use your brain, and pick up a book. Yeah, we have there, a lot there's of There's a novel idea, huh? Reading, yeah. <laughs> Crazy, I know. 21st century reading? Huh? Well, <laughs> the problem is that people don't want to read. It's, you know, tension span of a gnat, 30 seconds in a microwave. God, what is this? You know, the gulag. So pe people are very, very spoiled in this day and age, and they don't really want to, you know... But this guy uh, that I'm going to introduce now, he has written some amazing books, um, and he is an author, uh, and, and he's also uh, a very strong individual. I found that out. I did not know that much about him until we talked, and then he, uh, he enlightened me. Now, Anthony, you're, I mean, you're, you don't know Paul from, from Adam, okay? But you know something about him. That, that most people don't. And we're going to throw that out there real quick. But do we have anything else to say for the intro? Anything at all? Uh, I think that about covers it. Uh, websites, prtpodcast.com. You can uh, go and find every episode there. But also subscribe on YouTube. That, that, that would be great. And uh, I think that covers all the preliminaries. And then Josh Turner, prtpodcast.com yeah. is my email. Folks, send me a friend request and I'll, I will message back and forth with you. I do it all the time. I do it hundreds, hundreds of people. I'm not kidding. I try to answer everyone, right, you know, and, and so luckily uh, I, I run a business, but uh, I have some, when I have some downtime, that's where it's devoted to. Now, here's the thing. I want everybody to understand something, okay? If you send me a friend request on Facebook or, or Instagram and you don't tell me that you're a listener of the show, I'm not going to approve it. That's it. Bottom line. So um, I don't need the trolls and the problems and the headaches and the stalkers, believe it or not. I've actually got a couple. So... Um, just, you know, please just be courteous and say, Hey, I'm a listener to the show, whatever. So I know who you are. You don't make me have to, you know, jump through hoops or I'll, I'll delete the friend request and they'll go, why'd you delete my friend request? You're a jerk. Well, you didn't tell me, you know, you could be anybody, you know, you could be looking for my car's extended warranty or whatever. Who knows? So anyways, Paul, are you there? I am Josh. All good this end. Great to be speaking with you guys tonight. Sorry for the long winded intro, but Paul, Paul, before we get started, and we're not going to go into a deep dissertation about this because everybody wants to hear the, the meat and potatoes of your stories, but uh, I'm going to tell you something, Paul, okay, he sent me a video, and if it wasn't him bragging, he saw me doing a video, um, and I was doing uh, flies, it was 660 pounds, and I did them three sets of five. Now, that wasn't anything. I was just trying to prove a point to a bunch of people that were talking crap. They were like, you can't do that. So I showed them a video. And then a lot of people stopped. That actually worked. Well, Paul, I mean, he have something in common. Paul's a weightlifter too. And I didn't realize that. And Paul sent me a video, unreal. He had 90-pound uh, dumbbells and he on, on, on the flies, on the, on the bench flies. 
Um, and he was doing, he did 34 reps. Now, I don't know if any of you out there know what that is. Uh, I can do that, but that most people can't do that. And Paul is also he, in his late 50s. So it's unbelievable. When I talk about weightlifting being the fountain of youth, I'm not kidding. This, I've, you know, it was crazy watching that video. If you don't know what a dumbbell is, 90 pounds doesn't mean he lifted 90 pounds that many times. It means 90 pounds in each hand, which is 180 pounds. Mm-hmm. So basically, so yeah. That's very impressive to get that many reps. That many reps, yeah. I mean, um, I've done 225 39 times. Uh, on the straight bench, and and then I did another complete set of thirty right after that. So and that just just that just kills your chest, it makes you really you know. And I've done incline, I've done the four ninety five. I think Paul, Paul, you probably saw that, but I saw you do that, and I was like, oh boy, this guy, <laughs> you know, um, automatically a, makes him a little bit cooler. Yeah, you're a, a very cooler, very actually. strong individual. So uh i'm impressed and and you were not bragging you were just you you asked if you could show me and i said yeah it's that's and so that video kind of blew my mind but so anyway in addition to being a great author and a researcher he's also a very strong individual so i wouldn't mess with him <laughs> well thank you very much josh you know that that probably apart apart from just doing it to satisfy my own curiosity how many reps i could get that's probably the first time i've well it is i never sent that anywhere on Facebook or, or to anyone. I just I just thought to myself, after I'd seen you do the flies, nobody re- actually knows I even train. I, I trained for years, and as a as a teenager, I used to enter competitions and things. I never spoke about it as regards it's it just don't it's not applicable to the paranormal research, the cryptid research. But as I say, you just sparked my interest when I saw you doing those flies, and I thought, well, I, I bet they don't realise that you know there's a guy here. 54, 55 year old, I'm 58 now. And I, yeah, I banged, it was 35 reps actually. And I don't know if you noticed, I know we're not here to talk about weightlifting guys, are we? But the, the reps actually got deeper towards the end. And that's just because of my age and the joints are old and they don't, <laughs> they just don't work <laughs> uh, as, 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 they, as they're doing the youth. But yeah, Josh, you'll just jump to it. We shall just kick a few ideas around and get to some of these accounts that are here in the UK. Yeah. Of- yeah. And we'll do that. So, so Paul, let me, let me start off with this. You've written four books Yeah, and you're in the process of completing a fifth. That's correct. Yeah. And, and what are they called? Well, we've got the first truth proof book and it's, it's pretty predictable. Now we've got truth proof Two: beyond the thinking mind, truth proof three, bringing down the light and the one that I'm writing now, because the second one slightly, uh, sorry, the fourth one was slightly different. It was the night, it's the night people, and that's about my own experiences from childhood in, in the, within the unexplained realm, should we say. So we're on to a truth proof four now, which is the fantasy of reality. I should think that's going to be about a month away. It's, it's written, all artwork's done. Uh, we're just sort of tightening it all up. And, yeah, that, those are the books, and... I think the rather than brag about them, I just said to people, have a look at the reviews. And, you know, that they kind of speak for themselves. You're always going to get odd one or two, and that's literally what it is. So that I don't know, they don't like book, but uh, there's hundreds of reviews and they're all favorable. Yeah, and they are. And, you know, when I mentioned your name on that, everybody was like, oh, I love Paul Sinclair. A bunch of people, because you, like me, you're a veteran of uh, DER. 
um, which I don't think either one of us will be ever going back to that. But uh, we each have different reasons. But uh, yeah, we were on that show, and that's where a lot of people uh, learned of of your work, and you did some really good work on there. Um, it's unfortunate the platform the way it is, but you talked about the Flixton werewolf. And that's that, correct. That was like, and, and here's the thing. Um, if you go on that show, it's, it specializes in just dogman. So people are going to think Paul Sinclair, dogman researcher, Josh Turner, dogman researcher, and that becomes your wheelhouse. But that's not really your wheelhouse. You're, you are a paranormal researcher in every sense of the word and an author. And you've had many of your own experiences, just like I have. So we are kindred spirits in that way. But Dogman is kind of what we are known for because of the, the, the large amounts of research and time and energy we've put into this thing. Now, you have done a lot of research. You explained to me, too, during that last interview, I remember this, that the Beast of Barnstorm Drain, is that what, am I saying it correctly? Beast of Barnstorm Drain, yeah, yeah that's correct. Two different, two, uh, the, that's not, so, so it's really the Flixton werewolf, right? That, that's, and people were confusing the two? Well, what happened... <clears throat> Something has been seen on what's called the Barmston drain. Mm -hmm. This this is don't think of it as a dirty kind of sewage drain. It's a land drain that that sort of keeps the water levels around the the city of Hull level, and it runs out onto the uh, onto the coast at a little seaside resort called Barmston. Now, there's definitely something being seen there, but where things got muddied, should we say, the waters got muddied, was the fact that. When people wrote about the Beast of Barmston Drain, they started pulling in stories from 45 miles away at Flixton. Uh, Most of the accounts of the Flixton werewolf, have been the things that have been seen, have been on the A1039 road, quite simply because it's a tiny village and it's only got one road running through it. So when you were... When people were discussing the Beast of Barmston Drain to sort of bolster their story up a little bit, they'd say, oh, it attacked a tim- there's a story of it attacking a timber wagon. Uh, and obviously omitting the fact that it was in Flixton uh, on the A1039 road. It allegedly attacked a stagecoach in the 1800s, omitting those facts. So I, I won't take anything away from the Barmston story. I think there's something there and something's been seen. It's just the fact that... I don't know, people decided that they wanted to have a little bit of the Flixton story to, to make theirs a slightly more interesting, should we say, which weren't right. I mean, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, and I haven't really researched Barmston Drain in great details, but as far as I'm concerned, the Flixton story stands alone. It's probably oldest account of werewolf-type creatures, dogman, if you like, because we're only, we're only arguing over a word or a name here. Uh, most of the time, they're describing something very similar. In, in, in UK, maybe maybe in world, although that's stretching it a little bit, I suppose. When you look at the dog, the dog-headed deities that are, that are written about and talked about throughout time, you know, even even in in Egypt, and we've got the is it the Sinocaphali? So there's there's it, it goes back a long way. That's what I'm basically saying. I think in I think it was 937 AD. The, in, it was in the reign of the king, Athelstan. He, he instructed a knight, fabulous name. It's kind of, even by today's standard, it's like a, some fantasy name called Acehorn, uh, to, to build a, a refuge, a spittle. 
at Flixton for the protection of travellers. At least they be devoured, the old writings say, Josh. And what, what's interesting, we know we'd have had wolves in, the, in back in 937 AD, but in the UK, we didn't have bears. They'd gone 1,500 years before, and we didn't really have anything else that could have been a massive threat to, to humans. But it said from for the protect from from wolves and other savage beasts then abounding. We know it's only words and terminology, but from that time, we've got reports up and down the coasts of eastern North Yorkshire, which are only Flixton's only inland a few miles from the coast of in folklore of the huge dogs with glowing eyes, amber eyes, red eyes, going back hundreds and hundreds of years. And guess what? These places, these locations are still producing the sightings of the dog stroke werewolf creatures. It, right up to present day, right up to, I, don't, I wouldn't say a few months ago, but for the documentary that we're making, Josh, Wolflands, We've got people last year who've reported these things. We've got people 2018, uh, 2002, un totally unrelated to each other, reporting seeing huge fur-covered bipedal creatures. And I find it amazing. You know, and, and, and also need to stress, because you touched on it at the beginning, I, I were never into the subject of cryptids last thing on my mind uh, you know I, I primarily ufos and paranormal research and i just i couldn't step away from it because these reports kept on coming in and when you when you look at it and you think well this individual like he's got he holds down a really responsible job and he's claiming to have seen this We've got another guy here who's seen something similar, and we've got this description of this creature. I mean, in some instances, the descriptions do vary. We've got in in the forests of North Yorkshire, we've got something that just sounds like it's it's absolutely mountainous, a huge muscular creature with a dog's head, which we'll probably touch on some of those uh, accounts if you want to, you know, in a while. And then on the clifftops, we've got something that the people have described as looking like the werewolf from Harry Potter. But the people don't know each other, Josh, you know, and they're, they're, and they're not doing it for the for their own benefit. They're, they're sort of airing what they've seen a lot at times. You know, I'm having to prize this information out of them. We've been lucky with Wolflands that we've got people who've actually gone on camera, faced the camera. We're doing one reenactment because the guy's ill. That's the paratrooper who saw, saw this thing in uh, oh, gee, tw 2019, February 7th. That's when it was. And uh, we, we're going to reenact that one. We've got a lady who's told us her account, but we're actually filming the back of her head as she's driving down towards Flixton to the roundabout uh, one, late one night. And the rest of the witnesses face to face with camera, which I think is brilliant. You know, it's, it's good. I'm really sort of buoyed up about this this documentary. I think we're going to hopefully produce something that's uh, a little bit different. One of the things I was going to tell you in in, in England in particular, um, you guys have if you go back to Celtic, Celtic traditions, and I'm talking like way back Queen Boudicca, you know, and all these yeah the invasions of the Romans, uh, the Roman soldiers uh, were, you know, they had some serious problems and. <laughs> In Britannia, in Britannia, you know, in Britannica, when they uh, invaded, and so um, 
th- there were a lot of uh, stories of shape shifting uh, Celtic warriors. Um, that 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 is something that was very much a part of the Gaul, uh, the invasion of Gaul. The Kel- the Celts were were known as berserkers. Of course, it's it you know it was them wearing animal skins, but they would uh, ingest uh, mushrooms, things like that, and and take on the 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 appearance and. Uh, in some in some instances, it was said that they were they would take on the appearance of like actual wolves or bears, you know, berserkers, and then you know, so the Romans um, had to deal with these uh, basically blue painted naked Celts, you know, and some of them are frenzied out, wearing nothing but a wolf skin, um, and so the wolf is has always been kind of a mystical kind of creature in in the histories of uh, of the british isles in ireland and you know then you have the uh of course you were talking about uh, king athels the, the you know the, uh, the the invasion of the of the um uh vikings when the vikings came that was also a very uh, it was a part of their uh tradition and their staple was the berserkers the the, the wolves they they would wear uh wolf skins or they'd wear bear skins and they would be, there was a belief uh, that they could shapeshift and and there was a lot of uh, uh talk um, you know amongst the uh, the monks that they were evil demonic and that some of them could actually do this the viking and celtic culture very, the, the the uh going back into the antiquity very much mirrored the native american you know culture here um you know, in, in the early going, you know, before they became countries and had kings and all that, it was just wild. They were tribal back in the Roman days, you know. And of course, you know, when the English were civilized, then you got you, they got invaded by the um, <clears throat> the berserking uh, Vikings, who very much uh, uh, have a lot in common uh, with uh, the Native Americans and their belief in skinwalkers and shapeshifters and things like that. So. It doesn't surprise me that there's so many stories going so far back centuries of shape-shifting werewolves um, because those cultures that, that uh, came to be uh, a part of England, you know, you have Roman, you have the Pict people, of course, and you have the Romans, and you have the Celts, and you had the Vikings, and you had the Saxon, the, the, uh, the Norman invasion. You had all of that going on, and the Normans were actually just, a, just an offshoot of the Vikings too. That's all they were. Um, but they were they're basically Scandinavians that, that took over a part of France and then they invaded from from Normandy. Um, but you know the, all those those cultures they all have a tradition of werewolves, every one of them. So true. Yeah, and, and when you touch on the the sort of Norse element, the Vikings, Eastern North Yorkshire is steeped in in Norse mythology, fol- folklore relating to Norse mythology, the place names. These forests where we were working for the documentary, the the, the names are uncanny. I'm, some of them I'll, I'll, I don't mind saying, but some of them because of the I want to wait till we've got the film done because it it it, it relates to Fenrir, the the Norse uh, wolf, uh, you know that sort of is supposed to be responsible for creating Ragnarok, the end of the world in in Viking uh, mythology or Viking legend, and. Jumping back to Flixton, we've got in Flixton probably the oldest archaeological site or the most important in in the UK called Star Car. 
and that, that's the name of it. The archaeologists have been working there for years and years. And what is interesting, because it touches on what you've just said, Josh, is that the archaeologists over the years have found artefacts that suggest, not suggest by Paul Sinclair, but suggest to the archaeologists that the people of Starkar were shaman, practicing ritualistic magic and sacrifice. They found deer skull headdresses, uh, all, I wouldn't say like new, but quite intact. And they don't think they were using them for hunting purposes. They found evidence of mass animal butchery that that doesn't look like it's been necessarily for food. Now, we do realise that Starkar, the people who lived there, we're going back eight to 11,000 years. So we can never get an absolute picture of what were happening there, Josh. But it, it's interesting, nevertheless, that these these archaeologists, these people of, of, of learning, should we say, think that, these that the ancient people, the early peoples, were practising shamanistic magic when we've got stories in Flixton itself of the Flixton werewolf. Is this a remnant from that time? Is this the reason, Josh, that it's seen? And then it's not seen for years. Do you know, you know, are we looking at tracings of time? Are we looking at sort of echoes of something from an ancient past? I think we could be. We'll look at the Hexham heads. Um, yeah. The Hexham heads, you know, those just long story short, you know, the story, Paul, uh, the children, yeah. they dug them up in a garden. And then the next thing you know, they started seeing a werewolf. And I think it was Druid. I think that they were used in magical ceremony of shape-shifting. I, I, that's my opinion. I mean, I argued with someone one day, and they were like, oh, it's bullcrap, just kids seeing stuff, whatever. How could two yeah. little rocks do that? Because those were imbued with power. Objects have the power you give them, and you can bestow power on anything if you know how to do it. And it's it's it was ceremonial, and some what they what what it was is it awakened something. If you go back in, into my show, and I'm not trying to plug my show, what I'm trying to tell you is if you go back and, you, and listen to the episode, the Serbian werewolf, when they uncovered that sarcophagus with that sword, all hell broke loose. I mean, there was a reason why that happened. There was something there that opened it up, and then next thing you know, you're seeing this werewolf type creature, which was ethereal but it was also physical and it could it could do physical things but it could also disappear and that was very much like the story uh, you know the, these things were like like seen you know after somebody found some sort of artifact you know and that 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 is very uh, a common occurrence and if you look at and what you said about Fenrir and uh, I'm not going to go on and on about it but but when he's talking about Fenrir and Ragnarok it's very important when you when you look at the Norse mythology, their, their pantheon of gods were very grim because they all, in the end, were going to be destroyed. Uh, it's very weird. It's not like the good guys win. Uh, Surtur, he comes out, strikes the earth with fire. Jormungandr creates tidal waves, breaking the earth apart. They all kind of work together, but not really. It's like it just kind of happens because Fenrir, he decides to eat the moon and the sun and whatever. He breaks from his chains, you know. And goes crazy, and then uh, Jormungandr is stopped by Thor, but then Thor is killed, you know. And he, but he does defeat him. But in the end, there's nothing left, and then there's just a tree, and it grows, and then a new world is created. But the gods are all dead. Um, and then Fenrir, of course, he he devours everything, turning it into darkness. You know, uh, very grim. But but Fenrir, 
was was known as a very uh, it was he was feared by the Vikings. He was revered, but he was also feared because he meant the end of all things. And uh, there's a lot of legends that go along with that. There's an Arabic legend in many different parts of of Arabia where the last creature left on earth is the wolf. There are legends from the Native Americans, same thing. The last creature on earth is a wolf, and then there's a tree. That's very weird that 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 they mirror one. And I'm not going to get into each culture and go through a dissertation on that, but that's very very common theme. And I think England, it had it was it, because it was because of its isolation uh, from the English Channel. What is it, ninety miles, or what is it from France? How far is it? You're probably right with what yeah. you just said, Josh. Yeah, You're, I'm better at geography than me. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the, you know, there's. It, there, there's a certain number of miles, you know, that it separated it. So the wolf population there didn't really have a lot of adversaries until mankind was able to, um, you know, get strong enough to protect themselves. There were huge packs of wolves that would roam around for centuries kind of unchecked because they didn't really have any rivals and mankind was 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 prey. And so yeah. there's something in the psyche of, of the culture, of the British culture, that just was terrified. And finally, eventually, they wiped them all out. Um, whereas, you know, in Gaul and places like that, a lot of them were culled by the invasion of the Romans. And then later, you know, through Spain and up into France until Francis Martelli defeated the Arabs. The Arabs wiped a lot of them out, too, because they were a nuisance. They were considered a nuisance. And they were killed um, by the Moors and, and of course, the, the Romans and all these, because people could could access those areas, whereas, I, I, you know, Britain is very much an island. It's an island people, and they're they're trapped on that, <laughs> that island with these ravenous creatures. And I don't see, you know, that being the, the animal would probably be your totem, you know, and they're going to revere that creature. So if you're going to shapeshift, that's the creature you're going to choose. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... It, there's so many links just that carry the, the past forward and take us back to the past. The burial mounds, the earthworks, you know, the ancient burial mounds. A lot of the sightings are around those areas. And the forests of North Yorkshire, Josh, you know, everything's named after the wolf. Mm-hmm. Blaworth Beck means running wolves. Uh, not the Beck part of it, but Blaworth means running wolf. You've got Howell Moor, Howell Dyke. You've got Gothland a little bit further up, but all within the, the, the sort of spectrum of what we're researching. And they've got a story of a monstrous dog called the Guy Trash uh, that's said to terrorise people on the moors and, and in the forests. Uh, the, it was the inspiration for Hound of the Bas- Baskervilles. You, do you know? Uh, the Sherlock Holmes book. Yeah, yes, that's correct, yeah. And then when you go to Whitby, you've got the, the sort of stories of Dr- Count Dracula and the, the hound. Well, the, the huge dog with glowing red eyes is reported in folklore at Whitby, Ravenscar, Kettleness, and we have, we're, we're interviewing people from all around this these locations. So this, not only are the stories going back hundreds of years, they're still present. They're still here, you know. And I suppose the 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 shape shifting element is present in cultures all over the world. In, in Sierra Leone, you've got the leopard men, or you did have of Sierra Leone, the baboon culture, the crocodile people. All all these these sort of 
ancient, ancient traditions where they believed that they transformed into the beast, just like you said with the berserkers and the, their eating of the, the flygaric mushroom that was said to send them into this transformative state. And I suppose these mushrooms grow all over the place, but at the right time of the year, and it's just a, it'll not be long now, in the forests of North Yorkshire, the red and white spotted mushrooms are everywhere. Is it just coincidence? And uh, I, th I think we disregard things that appear to be magic just because of those reasons. But I think if we look, if we, history tells us that these things have been happening throughout time. And as I say, they, they still are, Josh. But uh, I don't think that the, the ancient peoples put their graves, their burial mounds in these places because they just thought, oh, that's that'll be a nice place to put it. Yeah, that, that looks like a cute place, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they realized that actually the location, location is key in a lot of these things. Uh, I, you know, you've got just to cite one location, the Beast of Bray Road. Why is it seen there? I mean, I, I've not done tons of research into that these accounts of the Beast of Bray Road, but you think to yourself, why there? Why just there? And I wonder if the researchers who, who are involved in that have come across other anomalies, I don't know, UFO-type reports, uh, poltergeist activity in homes. And I, I, I realise I don't know geography area, so the, the homes might be few and far between, quite sparse. But that's what I'm finding. There's, the, the, these areas, although we're getting reports of the dogman, stroke, werewolf, they're, they're, they're usually multi-phenomena areas as well. So you've got all manner of unexplained phenomena occurring. I mean, that's where I was at before I started looking into the cryptids. And the cryptids have now become a massive part of the research because regardless of what anybody says, and I don't mean your listeners, Josh, because obviously some of them have had their own experiences. Some of them are open to the the idea, the belief that these things are real, but that's the general consensus. But I don't. I personally don't now. Don't care what anybody thinks or says to me. I know there's a reality to this. I've spoke to too many people. Uh, I don't mean everybody. I don't believe everybody, and I'm sure you don't. But I've spoke to a lot of people who've been sincere to the point of being in tears after what they've seen, being traumatized after what they've seen, and uh, we've seen things ourselves now. Uh, I think it was back in 2016 on the clifftops at Bempton. Uh, and I can't categorically say it were a dog, man, stroke, werewolf. I knew it weren't a deer. Uh, and we, that's the only thing we've got of a reasonable size that could be on clifftops. You wouldn't put cattle on a clifftop. And at this particular evening in 2016, it's, it's night time. And I we a guy called Andy Ramsden. And I'll explain lay at land here, guys. These cliffs range from about 80 feet to 120 to 300 to 420 feet in the sheer. So nothing will scale them. It's, it's limestone and down to the North Sea. And this particular night, something caught my eye, peripheral vision, not far away. So I, I don't want people to think it's climbed cliffs, but it's on edge of cliff. And then it set off running on all fours. I could see a cream underbelly. And it cleared a three-bar fence, and it was heavy on its feet, but boom, real heavy. Now, Andy Ramsden could only heard it. I saw it and because, obviously, you know, I alerted him to it, and it's nighttime. So that, that, that particular night, it started to drizzle. Now, we decided we were going. We'd had enough. I've always got cameras with me, and I, I had a little 
Cannon with me at that time and a camcorder. And as we as we're walking along the cliffs, I, I will scan the field with a torch. And there's some huge eyes, like a pink, pinky yellow, weird coloured eye, huge eyes. And I'm not so green that I'm not familiar with eye shine and what animals eye shine belong to. You know, we see all sorts: fox, badger, deer. That livestock, cattle, you know, so uh, this is what I'm trying to point out. These eyes are big and they're unusual. I stick the torch on them and they don't seem phased by me. They kind of look away, unlike an animal would do, you know, unless it were an infrared light and it couldn't see it. And then they look back at me. And he's nervous. And I get the camera, the, the cannon, and I leave him and I start walking across the field, snapping pictures towards it. With camera to my stomach because it's raining and I don't want to damage camera. So I don't really know what I'm taking. I do get the eye shine, that's all. And Andy's asking me to come back. Now, this thing from being, I don't know, three or four foot in air, lowered, and it it it, it were almost like in a commando position, if you know what I mean. It's on, it's, it's on, the, on the floor looking between the grass, but we saw it go down. And then you'd, you'd see the eyes move and, and disappear, and then it would be a bit further back. And I realised eventually I'm, I'm out few hundred yards into this this sort of open field with quite long grass and what have you and I turned back we don't know what that was but along that coastline along those cliff tops Josh we've had we've had numerous absolutely amazing reports back in uh, uh, 2019 I think I said February 7th but I was wrong it was February 9th there's two ex-paratroopers went up there wild camping They'd, some of they'd done numerous times in different places. And uh, they'd got two dogs with them, torches, and they got there in early hours. Said it was crisp and sort of icy, you know, grass were crunchy. But what they noted, what they didn't realise before, they, they've sort of, what, since thinking about it, because they're not into paranormal or any aspect, he said air felt electric. He said it just felt weird. It was a weird night. He said, and we, we walked down to the cliffs from the car park where they'd parked the car. And we took it. Was he explaining this to me on the phone, this guy? I'm, I, he's talking me through places I could see it in my mind's eye. He said, so we walked to the cliffs and we took a right. And so they're heading towards Flamborough, a place called Flamborough. All these places, listeners, can be go to Google Earth. You'll see there's not a lot there. And uh, he said, will it a huge pair of amber-stroke yellow eyes up? He says, big as golf balls, he says. And we thought, what the? Well, not swear, but, you know, there are a few swear words. He said, and we don't know what we're looking at. He says, and dogs were acting weird, he said, because they, they were tight to us. They wouldn't move. So then we, they just kind of looked away. It was weird. And they're at a distance. We couldn't see any form. So then he says, and the, the air, it just felt electric. He said, so we carried on walking. He says, and we lit them up again a bit further back. So and then we, we come to this platform, this stand. Well, it's a viewing platform where people come to look at the seabirds, the, the gannets and the razorbills and things. In summer, you know, it's a breeding colony for birds, but this is, this is February. He said, and we, look, we stood there for, a, I don't know, a few minutes looking out to sea. And then we started walking towards what looked like two great big gate posts. Well, I knew where he was again, and they're not gate posts. It used to be a style dividing fields, but the fencing and the actual woodwork between it's gone. He said, and we walked through them, and then his words were, he says, I thought it were an effing hyena at first. He says, because I put the torch to my right. 
he says, Nick, well, they're hunkered down in the grass. I'm, I'm sort of quoting this guy because, and I'm not reading it out because that's how he was talking. He said, he says, all its back were bristling. He says, it was like it had got a hump on its back. He said, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. And my, my, my friend there, he said, he's looking at it. We, we just sort of absolutely, not mesmerised, traumatised, because it's huge. He said, and then it stands up. He said, it stood up on two legs. Now, if you would have heard emotion, we, we I spoke at a conference a few years ago called The Awakening, and, and we played some recordings of this guy. And the emotion in his voice, I mean, it's, it's quite staggering. He said, and that's the trauma from... 2019 coming through after when I spoke to him and he said he stood on two legs and so I asked him how tall he estimated it to be and he says at least seven foot very broad clavicles not because I, I wanted to know if it had got shoulders like a human or, or you know the, the, the sort of physiology of a, of a canine and he said it's got clavicles like a human but a huge deep chest didn't see its feet they uh, uh, or the lower legs because there was the grass were pretty long and it had long arms that weren't muscular. They were, or they were lean, should we say lean, and fingers with claws at the ends of them. And he says, I'm looking at this thing. He said, it's 15 to 20 feet away. He says, my friend is froze to the spot. The dogs, I don't know how I knew this bit, but he said the dogs were terrified. The, the tails were on the bellies. They're absolutely terrified. He said, and it's a head full of teeth, and it's, it's just looking at us. Now, it, the thing that freaked him out, and it's, it's little... Bits like this that are kind of, I don't know, the quirky, the weird parts to a story. He said it had one hand under its chest, picture like under one of, under its pectorals. And the finger on that hand was, you know, if you sort of reached out to someone and sort of beckoned somebody, the, the forefinger saying, come here, come here. It, that's what it was doing. He said the finger was moving backwards and forwards, but not in the direction of where we were stood, it were under its chest as though there were another one. He said, he said, I just, absolute terror. He said, in the end, I said, I sort of knocked my friend to sort of shake him out of his frozen stance. We backed away and we made his way back to the car, which is quite a considerable distance along the cliff tops. It, they didn't say it followed them. They didn't say what happened to it after that. And they went, they got in the car and they left. Now that description is different to the description of the things in North North Yorkshire, Josh. We've had that description description now from a few witnesses along the clifftops. What I find amazing is we've got the North Sea on these steep cliffs. There's lots of caves that are inaccessible, so I suppose there is somewhere for something like this to hide. There, are, there is marine life down there. You get seals in the, the coves that are inaccessible as well. So you, I suppose there is a food source. But I personally do not see that we've got a living, breathing population of these things. That isn't to say that I don't believe what they've seen. I just think it's something that's transient, transient something that sort of lives between worlds, if you like, a, a bit like what the Native Americans would think of the skinwalker. Uh, I don't know what your views on that, Josh, are. Well, one of the things that you that you mentioned when you were talking about the the the, the red cap uh, speckled mushroom, I want to tell everybody this: <clears throat> that's the Amanita mascara. Mascara. Um, that's the official name of, but there's several different species of that mushroom now. People, yeah. 
we're not saying I, I want to make sure we, we we're very clear on this. None we're not advocating you to go and take this and that you're gonna go and see yep. visions and or you're going to become a werewolf and and the natives you know they would they would use that okay that was very common um you know the the, the amanita mascara was was a very common when it grows uh, in europe all over and in asia north america it's very widespread um and if you ingest it without you know doing the proper i think boiling or whatever it 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 is uh poisonous but so, but it, but it, but it, it can water down. It, it is psychoactive. So the natives, you know, in, in the ancient Celts, I'm sure the same, and the Vikings, they all ingested this. And people will say, well, they were hallucinating, maybe, but they, you know, they may also have known something a little more about the nature of how our world works to actually achieve this. Um, I think one of the things that we that we overlook, and it's this, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole and get real deep and take away from the stories, but I, I I believe, and Paul, we've had this conversation off air that we are living in some sort of like matrix, and 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 we're not going to get into that. What I'm just going to say though is there are those who take certain things and know how to manipulate that, and I believe that some of what, not all, but some of what's going on. I believe is a manipulation. They are able to manipulate this world that we live in. And it's almost like a, if you were playing a video game and they found out secret hacks or codes, um, it sounds really hard, you know, and, and eventually my work I'm hoping will come full circle eventually because I'm going to have other people come on the show and talk about the origins and the history of our world and where it comes from and how we are, where we, why we are, where we're at. And if you listen to my work from beginning to end, like you will get bits and pieces and you can kind of put it together yourself. I talked about it on my live stream. It's like that comes out on Tuesdays, by the way, it's on YouTube and you can't get on the other platforms. So a lot of people listen to this podcast. They don't know about the the, the YouTube live stream. Um, you know, there are people who will genuinely tell you that they have learned how to manipulate this matrix. And when you talk about these creatures, basically saying that, you believe that there's something that, that lives between two worlds. Uh, I believe that too. I believe that these things, I mean, there are, there is a small and, and, and it's a shrinking uh, population of, of really just people that are closed minded in this community that really believe these things are hundred percent physical. Just because something can manipulate things physically and do physical things doesn't make it physical. They don't follow the same principles and laws that we do. And I believe there are some people who are able to actually break through the veil and do things that we just you would blow your mind. I mean, I've met people who could do some amazing things. And I believe that a lot of it comes from within your spirit. And, and, and so we are getting so far away from the spiritual aspect of who we are, what we are, that, that it's like almost like a comic book to hear about. Like, oh, something shape. You know how much energy that would take? It doesn't matter. You can take energy right out of the air if you know how to do it. It's just manipulation. That's what it is. And and I'm telling you right now, the the very metaphysical uh, in, in accounts of a lot of these stories, um, they, they boggle the mind. But th there's so many of them that you can't discount it. You can't say, you know, don't discount that because somebody saw something that looks like, you know, a werewolf. And there's this huge debate that went on in one of the groups that I'm in the other day. And they were like, 
that's a werewolf and that's a dog man and that's a werewolf and that's a dog man. How do you know the difference? I'm like sitting there going like, I've been studying this for, for 30 years and I don't know the difference between a, a, a skinwalker, a werewolf and a dog man. And there's people out there who really believe that they know the difference. And I call those people lying morons. Uh, I'm kind of with you with that, Josh. And I'm glad also that you brought up the fact, because we're not advocating the use of hallucinogenic mushrooms in any shape or form. It's, I'm just sort of relaying the, the, the history of the, of the Norseman, the Viking. So, yeah, I'm, that's a good point. Here in North Yorkshire, I think the mushroom that primarily is the fly garrick. That's, that's the name of that. The fly garrick is the Amanita muscura. Yeah, right. Uh, excellent. So, the, so, yeah, right. So jumping back to it, you know, and you were talking about, you know, the people that believe that this is a, a solid bone, flesh and blood a breathing creature roaming the forests and remote places of our world. It, it, it could be when it's when it's here in that, you know, in, in its in that form mm -hmm. and it could be like a ghost in other forms. I've got lots of reports and I'm sure you will have done where people have not seen leg movement. This no. thing just. This, these things, and we can jump to the Bigfoot type uh, sightings as well. Here, just seem to arrive in in the forests up in North Yorkshire. There's there's one called Stape, S T A P E, the, one of the forests. A gamekeeper, uh, he, he had a, a, a set of experiences in 2002 that are absolutely still vivid in his mind today. When you when you see the film and you hear this guy talk, I, I, I failed to. Be, Anybody not to think this guy's is either the best actor in the world or he's, he's he's telling telling us the truth and I believe him. And he said how, how these events started. He said he he'd been working in the forest for a, a number of years, and this is how remote it is. I just went into a, through some trees into a clearing one day and I found a farmhouse that had been abandoned. He said I'd, I'd been there years. I'd never seen it. Uh, so he said, I used it as a base. He said, if there were any poaching going off, if I needed to be close to pheasant pens and things, he said, I'd use this farmhouse. He said, and I'd sleep in it. There were, a, he said, it were weird. The doors were hanging wide open. There was still a bit of furniture in it. Found out it had not been occupied since 1956. He said, so I'd light a fire and so I'd sleep in this farmhouse. So the first event that happened for him, and and he's of the opinion that. Like yourself, Josh, there's, there's something more than flesh and blood to these things. He said, I'm walking back to the, the farmhouse and I've got a nephew with me uh, this particular night. He said it'd be about 10 o'clock at night. And as we're walking along this logging road, he said a light sprung up from my right hand side, from the ground, about the size of a baseball, white light, literally went straight up. Well, this guy, his former occupation, he were a, he were a, a marine which he'll, he'll say is in the film. He said, and I instantly grabbed hold of my nephew and dropped him to the floor because I thought I'd knocked a tripwire flare and I expected squaddies to come out of the forest because we're not far away. And this is another thing that needs touching on, and I'm sure a lot of your researchers, yourself included, realise that these things are often seen near military installations and we're actually not far away with this forest from area Filingdales. So that's what he thought. He said, mm, I expected the, the area to be lit up because that's the all sort of reason for a tripwire flare. Uh, he said, but nothing happened. It just went up in the air and disappeared. He said, we thought that were odd. He said, so the next day I came back and looked for scorch marks, magnesium burns, nothing. Uh, no previous experience of paranormal 
happenings or anything unexplained, uh, Josh. So he said, over the next few days, he said, me and another gamekeeper, because my nephew went home, he said, we started hearing a baby crying in the forest. He said, and uh, we'd walked to where we thought it was or the edge of the forest and it had stopped and it had started a bit further in. He said, and we thought it was almost like it were, whatever it was were luring us in. He said, and it were unnerving because it sounded, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound too macabre, people, but if, if a rat or a fox gets an hedgehog, they'll, they do scream and cry a little bit, as, uh, you know. But he said, you know, he's, he's a gamekeeper. He says, we're familiar with all these sounds. He said, this, for all intents and purposes, was a baby. So that went on, he said, and then uh, he found himself sleeping in the farmhouse. He said, the back door were barricaded up and there were a bolt on the front door. There's, there's a hole in the roof. There's no stairs on this farmhouse. He said, they must have had a ladder to go upstairs. And uh, he said, I'm laid there. I've lit a fire. I've had something to eat. He said, and I get in my sleeping bag and I've got my feet facing the fire. And in early hours at morning, he said, I just woke up. He said, well, you don't know time now. This is 2002. He said, I felt, I just felt a little bit, not nervous, but something's not right. He says, and I'm facing the window. I'm, I'm laid down on a, the stone floor and I'm facing the window in a sleeping bag. He said, and this thing come to the window. He said, and he said, that's all I can call it. He said, I, I didn't see glowing eyes. I didn't see teeth. He said, now this guy's big. He's a similar build to you, Josh. He's, he's a really big guy. I, I think I, when I mentioned it to you the other day, I think I said to you, he's got one of his fingers is as thick as two of mine. He's, he's a huge beast of a guy. And uh, he said, it's filling window. I can't believe what I'm looking at. And it's looking down over the top of the window when we've been there and filmed and I've measured. And it's it's over seven foot tall to top at lintel and it's looking down into the room. And he's thinking, can it see me? Because there's, there's only the glowing embers. I need to stay really still. I don't know if it can see me. He says, and I just observed. He says, and I don't know, five minutes, 10 minutes. He, once again, he's not timing himself. It moved away. Proper deltoids, you know, he could see the outline of this thing, monstrous creature. Said, and it moved away. He said, and I, 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 after that, obviously, he's troubled. He's, this thing's come to the window. He says, and they're still getting these, these cries during the daytime. He said, so I decided, he said, the forest, actual thick part of the forest was about 40 foot from the farmhouse in front. At the sides, the trees were probably only eight foot away from each side of the farmhouse. And they run for miles. For anybody that thinks that we don't have forests here in the UK, the North Yorkshire Moors National Park, which is forest and moorland, is 520, I think 525 miles that parallel the coast. So there's a lot of it, remote area there. He said, so I put a tarpaulin down about 40 foot away from farmhouse, got into this little divot, this little hollowed out depression, and I waited. He says, and I stayed there all night and I just sat watching the forest he says and sure enough early hours at morning it came out at forest he said and it he said we'll level with fascia board you know where the gutter line is and so you know they're pretty low we're we talking seven foot he says and this thing just went down the side of the farmhouse and stood at the window looking in he said but do you know what paul i believe it knew exactly where i was he says i just felt it it, it, it either that or there were another one behind me he said because I just felt it knew I was in in this hollowed out area watching it. He said, and there's another strange thing. I never saw its legs move. 
it just arrived. His analogy, and it's a good analogy, said it was almost as though you took a torch beam and swept it down the building. And it's quite a long building. You know, you've got you've got the farmhouse itself and then uh, off off it attached to it but lower down these these outbuildings which would have been for livestock i assume and machinery years and years ago he said it literally just arrived i saw no leg movement stayed there a short time looking in and then just went back back into the forest he said he said he sat he stopped there for another 15 20 minutes and went round the back of the farmhouse because he'd bolted the front door let himself in barricaded it up and obviously just laid there all night with one eye on the window and all ears sort of everything on on full alert and i said to me he said there's nothing i could have done he said if that had wanted to come through the building it, it could have come through wall he said it was it was just enormous the, the shoulders on it and everything he said it was just absolutely enormous he said, i stayed a few days after that and then i left he said i'd, I'd kind of seen enough and we've been back now me and this guy we've been back we've, we've slept in the forest uh he's he's got a different mindset to anybody else that i've interviewed is is what respect and fascination not he's not the guy that would say right i'd have gone up to it toe to toe but apart this is the only guy that i've that's not said i were absolutely terrified uh but when you see the guy on film you'll you'll kind of realize why and that when you hear how he talks he's just a no-nonsense guy he says it like it is and it's an, an amazing account and the, the 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 lack of leg movement it it, it kind of tells you that there's something else happening here and you know i, I know that the, the the gun laws where you are josh in, in america everybody has guns so i'll just jump into it for the people that think that these are some kind of flesh and blood creature in the truest sense of the word living and breathing uh our air out out you know what when I've been on podcasts over the years and I've listened um, and also listened to podcasts and you get people saying, I, I hit it center mass with a 30 yard six at a range that would drop a bear. 30 yard six is a very powerful gun. Yeah. yeah and this thing just stood there and, and like they're actually answering their own question yet. They're still saying, Oh yeah, I believe there's a breeding population of these things. But yet they've just told you it's, it's done something that's impossible. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And uh, for anybody that thinks that, that these things are flesh and blood, I mean, I'm not going to argue with you. We're, we're all, at the end of the day, we're only dealing with opinion. But my opinion is that there's the mind speak. There's, there's just too many things, attributes to these creatures, be it Dogman, Bigfoot, that, that rule them out, that, that raise them a, way above the level of a normal flesh and blood animal. And that's all the time we have for this week, folks. Join us next week again for more Cryptid and Dogman discussion with Paul Sinclair. And in the meantime, like, comment, subscribe, all that jazz, and good night.